Amen. All right, saints, if you would, please open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. Now, what I want to do is this. As we look at here on, on John 12, the, the verse that we're going to be looking at is verse 45. And keep in mind, it's more of a, of a launching pad because it's just a great recognition of, of really what do we see when we look in a manger. Here in John 12, 45, it simply declares as Jesus is speaking these things, and he who sees me sees him who sent me. It's an amazing thing. He who sees me sees him who sent me. Absolutely amazing as we look to this, the, the, the words and the work of Jesus Christ, that eventually in a few weeks we'll get to John chapter 14, and the disciples, Philip would, would simply come and say, listen, show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. And, and, and Jesus would truly just kind of look and say, have I been with you so long? Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me? And he said, show us the Father. And of course, he says that in John 14, verse 8 and 9. He said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? It's an amazing thing that when we take a look at this child, I think it's so important when, when people look at the, 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 the manger, understand that this child that was in the manger was not just birthed, but was sent. Do you understand the difference? This child was sent. This child was born. The son was given. And I think it's so important that what do we see when we look in that manger? Now, one of the things that when you, when you take a look at what we should be seeing is one, humility. This is God who comes in this little package. You know, so, so some some people do. They look at the manger and they see humility. Some look in that manger and they see divinity. They see just that, that, that glory that's there. And understand that when some see the humanity and humility, some see divinity and his glory, it's interesting that he's both. And then this is something that we have to understand about Jesus Christ because some people look and they say, how could Jesus be fully human and not sin? Well, because he was fully human, he was fully God. And then they would ask this question, how could Jesus be fully God and be tempted? Well, because he was fully God and he was fully man. So people are struggling with those questions and, and, and scholars really try to figure out what's going on. And, and I thought it was just a, a, a beautiful word from the Lord to me to really take this time these last couple of weeks and just really ponder through what do we see when we look at that manger? What do we see? And, and, and so we, we look at the child, we look at Emmanuel, we look at all these things and and I want to take us through just a couple of scriptures this morning. You know me, when I say a couple, I mean a lot. But I want to take us through a couple of scriptures, and I want to focus on, on just really is what people see. Remember, they're in the, the book of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 2, such an incredible passage, and we see the wise men coming. And the wise men amazingly see what? Well, they're searching for a king. They find a king. And I don't want you to miss what I just said. They were searching for a king. 
and they found a king. Do you understand that when you look at the manger, you're going to find what you're looking for. If you're only looking for a babe, you're going to find a babe. If you're looking for God in the flesh, Emmanuel, you are going to find God in the flesh, Emmanuel. Do you understand? You're going to find what you're looking for. But the beautiful thing is this. We're not left to our own. See, we have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to be impressing upon our hearts. Look for this. Look for this. Look for this. And amazing, when God reveals himself to Moses, remember when Moses there at the burning bush, well, who should I say sent me? God said what? I am that I am sent you. And when you say, I am that I am, what does that mean? The Amplified Version gives a really good understanding of that passage where it says, I am what I am, and I will be what I will be. That's the full rendering of it. In other words, that God will become anything that we need him to be that draws us closer to him. Now, you have to understand, some people take that and says, God will be everything I need him to be. That's not what he wants. He won't become simply just a genie in the Bible, rub it, poof, you know, here he comes out. Grant me this wish, grant me that wish, grant me these things. See, God will become whatever we need him to be as long as what? It draws us closer to him. And this is how God chooses to reveal himself throughout scripture to everyone. He reveals himself in that way that will draw people back to him to show that he is that wonderful provider, to show that he is that amazing God. But here, in Matthew chapter 2, I want you to focus on just what the wise men are seeking and what they find. In Matthew chapter 2, the first two verses says this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Verse 2, they said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Do you understand? They're looking for a king. They're looking for this king. They said, we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Now, amazingly, there in verse 11, it says, when they had come into the house. Note that that's not a mistranslation. They didn't come into the manger. Do you understand? They didn't come into the manger. They came into the house. When they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary. Now, not a babe. There's a different word in the Greek for young child and for baby. So understand at this point, when you put up a manger scene, what you should do is this. If you want to be accurate, you put their Jesus, little baby Jesus there in the manger. You put Mary and Joseph. You put the shepherds and the sheep. And then what you have to do is you go back to your garage and then you put the wise men outside somewhere because they've got a couple year journey yet. When they see the star, they begin to go. And so they're traveling, they're traveling for days and weeks and months from the east to come to Jerusalem. By this time, he's no longer a babe. They're no longer in a manger. Now they're in a house. But notice what happens as they seek this king. Verse 11, when they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, fell down and worshipped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented to him, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Absolutely beautiful to see that what we recognize this is, is this is our king. And I love the fact that, that God himself 
When you take a look at Jesus being the King of kings and the Lord of lords, understand that when he says, if you see me, you've seen him. And if you see him, you see me. We are together in this. I'm the express image of the Father. And the Father himself is also this great and awesome king. A couple of verses just to jot down for you note takers. It says this in Psalm 47, verse 2. It says, for the Lord most high is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. You understand, not only is the son the king, but the father himself is also the king. In Psalm 95, verse 3, he makes this declaration. For the Lord is the great God and the great king above all gods. Absolutely amazing to see as God chooses to reveal himself as this awesome king There in the book of Malachi, chapter 1, verse 14, where God is talking about bringing gifts to him. And he talks about, listen, you know, don't don't bring me a one-eyed goat. Don't bring me something that's lame. He said, would you bring that to your governor? Would you give them something defiled? If you wouldn't give them something, why would you bring me something that's, that's not beautiful and not worthy of me? And he says this at the end of of verse 14 of Malachi 1, For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among all nations. This is amazing. This is God the Father speaking. He says, I am the great king. I am that king. My name is to be feared. And wonderfully, we understand what? That Jesus, too, is that great king. His name is going to be the name in which every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. And I love the heart that when the wise men came, they were looking, they were looking for this king. And when you look at this baby, understand that, yes, he was this little infant, but he was the one who would be called through the lineage of David. Absolutely incredible. I was reminded of the fact this last week There's this Bible that we have that we read to our grandkids, and my wife has been going through this, and we're hoping that in this time that they have, we can get through this entire little Bible. And it shares something that really dawned on me, something that I didn't recall before, something that it didn't dawn on me before, and it took a children's Bible to teach me an incredible truth. When Jacob goes and he comes to Uncle Laban, and he falls in love with Rachel. Falls in love. Just it's, it's her and her beauty that he works for for seven years. It seems but a moment. And then what does Uncle Laban do? Uncle Laban pulls the switch. He doesn't give to Jacob Rachel. He gives to her Leah. So when, when Jacob, just a couple of chapters earlier, was deceiving his own father, pretending he was the firstborn... So there's this whole deception of the baby and the firstborn, and all of a sudden, what? God said, hey, what you sow, you're going to reap. I'm going to show you what it's like to have this deception. But it it declares this, that Rachel was loved and Leah was unloved, and God saw that she was unloved. And I want you to understand something that it didn't dawn on me before, that Rachel has two children, Joseph and Benjamin. And amazingly, Leah has Judah. Through Leah, not Rachel, through Leah comes the Savior. The one who wasn't loved. And God says, I'm going to honor you 
in a way that, that, that Rachel won't be honored. She has her honor here. I'm going to give you an honor that goes into eternity through you. Through you will be Judah, and through Judah will be the king. That's amazing to me. I love that heart that, that even though we think, you know, I'm not loved, I, I don't have a great place, and God says, listen, I'm going to give you the honor. You don't have to worry about that. And so amazingly, I always look to the place of honor there in her death where, where Rachel was buried just alongside of the road on the way you know, to, to, to Bethlehem, and, and amazingly that Leah was buried with Jacob. So we see her honor, double honor that God gives to her. So the wise men, they come and they see a king. The shepherds, on the other hand, they don't see a king. They're not coming looking for a king. And what's amazing is this. They're in Luke chapter 2, and of course you know that passage where it talks about the event of the, the Savior coming. I want to share with you just verse 11 because it says this, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angels make this declaration, don't go looking for a king. You go looking for a Savior. You go looking for Christ, the anointed one. I want you to recognize here what I have for you. You come looking for a Savior. There earlier in Luke chapter 1, verse 47, this beautiful passage where we begin to see here that, that, that Mary comes to this point and, and you know, meets with her um, cousin Elizabeth. And, and when the baby leaps inside Elizabeth's womb, Mary makes this declaration there in, in the end of verse 46 and 47. She goes, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. You understand that she recognizes this baby's one thing, but, but God himself is my Savior. This baby's God. He's my Savior. I love the fact that they're looking for a Savior. And, and it needs to be so spoken of that, that when we look at this baby in the manger, this is our redemption. This is our purchase price. In other words, this baby wasn't come just to be cute and cuddly. This baby was, was to come and to be the greatest gift of all. And that gift wasn't there inside that manger. The true gift was what? Hanging on a, hanging on a tree. It was there, Jesus Christ, his death for us. And, and so to understand that he is the Savior is, is so needed, so important. There in Acts chapter 13, verse 23, let me read it to you. It says, from this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. Absolutely amazing. He talks about, yeah, you have to understand, here's David the king. And then through his lineage, through his lineage is going to be <clears throat> realized, not the king. And I love it, what, what Acts declares. He says, from this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior. I love the fact that here he doesn't, he doesn't say, it's just, it's a king. No, it's a savior. We need redemption. We cannot come to God on our own and to have a Savior there. And you can look in this manger and you can see a king. But I'll tell you what, when you look in the manger and you see this is my salvation, 
this is what, what my salvation is. It's just such a, an amazing thing that, that God begins to reveal to us, and he begins to reveal to the world just who Jesus is. Remember when Jesus was there in, going through Samaria, and he meets that woman at the well there in John chapter 4, and it makes this declaration in John 4.42. They said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, speaking of Jesus, and we know that this is indeed the Christ. And then the people of Samaria say this, the Savior of the world. He has come not just to save Israel, but he's come to save us, those that are rejected by Israel. He's come to even save the Samaritans. And I love that heart. I love the fact that, that Jesus is our Savior. But make no mistake that throughout the Scripture, God the Father has also declared what? The Savior. So when you see him, you see the Father. It's amazing how many times Christians, they look at the Old Testament and they think of God as this grouchy old bearded man that is just judging sin over and over again. But understand that the very heart of God is in Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that he gave. Do you understand he's not just this one that's just constantly pounding on sin, but God looks at our frame. He sees the weaknesses. He says, I need to give to you salvation. And, and I love the fact that in the book of Jude, at the very end of, of Jude, where Jude is only one chapter, so Jude verse 25, he says, to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. So amazing that, that God, where he says, it's God our Savior. God is our Savior. Now, there's a passage, and, and I just want to share a few with you. Just jot them down if you're a note taker. It's found in Isaiah. And there's, there's two chapters I'm going to focus on. I'm going to focus on chapter 43, a couple of verses, chapter 45, a couple of verses. They're going to be speaking very similar things over and over again, but in Isaiah chapter 43, beginning in verse 3, and then I'm going to read verse 11, it says this, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in your place. So we understand, he says, I am the Lord your God. I'm the Holy One of Israel. I am your Savior. In verse 11, he says, I, even I, am the Lord. And beside me, there is no Savior. You understand, there isn't a Savior beside him. So amazingly that when we look at our salvation, we think God is the one who judges sin. Jesus is the one who saves. And God says, you have to understand, have you seen salvation in my son? You've seen salvation in me. You have to understand the heart of God, the love of God that he has for us as well. In Isaiah 45, I want to read two verses. I want to read verse 15. I want to read verse 21. But verse 15 of Isaiah, Isaiah 45 makes this declaration. Truly you are God who hides yourself. O God of Israel, the Savior. Verse 21, tell and bring forth your case Yes, let them take counsel together who is declared from ancient time, who has told it from that time, have not I the Lord, and there is no other God besides me, a just 
God and Savior, there is none beside me. Amazing, the Father, there is no God, there is no Savior beside me. And Jesus says what? I'm God, I'm the Savior. So is he, is he separate? No, he is one with the Father. They together have one heart, and that is for you and I to come into this beautiful, right relationship with the Lord. And this is why I'm telling you, the greatest gift is not under the tree. The greatest gift is what? Hung on the tree. This is, this is the gift. This is what allows us to come before the Lord. And, and I just love the fact that this is God. This is his heart. And when you take a look at it, some come and they see the king. Some come and they see a savior. But understand what a lot of people, when they look at a savior, only see one thing. They see fire insurance. Do you understand what fire insurance is? I don't want to go to hell, so I'll accept Jesus Christ. And that's it. But understand, they want a Savior, but they don't want what? A Lord. They don't want God who has authority. They just want a baby Savior. And understand that what happens is this baby, this king, this Savior is also man, God. He's also God. I want to share with you just a couple of verses because they're in Luke chapter 1. Amazingly, as we see some people have only one mindset of Jesus Christ, that he is the son of God. They, they, they don't want him to be equal with God the Father. They simply want him to be the son of God. And, and they come to those understandings. They're in the book of Luke. Chapter 1, verse 35. As, as Gabriel is there and, 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 and you know, Mary is conceiving this child that's, that's of the Holy Spirit, it makes this declaration in Luke 1.35, and the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. And it's an, it's an important thing. Now, keep in mind, he's the Son of God, but he's also the Son of Man. He's the duality of his nature. Now, because he's the son of God, we understand that what? He has the very nature of God. Because it wasn't Joseph who was with Mary. The Holy Spirit came upon Mary, and that is what? He has the very nature of God. So he doesn't have the, the sin nature that would be passed on through Joseph. He has the divine nature was passed on through his father in heaven. So understand that when they call him the son of God, it's important to recognize that scripture is making this declaration that his nature is divine. So when you look and you say, oh, this is the son of God. Yes, he is the son of God, but don't lessen him as being less than God. He who being the form of God did not consider robbery to be equal with God. And as we look to this, I love the fact that here, as, as, you know, Mary is recognizing Gabriel that makes his declaration, the one who's going to be born of you is called the Son of God. And then as you back up a little bit here in Luke chapter 1, I want to read to you just a couple of verses, 26 through 35, because here's where Gabriel comes to her, and it says, In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, of the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. 
But when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying and considered what manner of greeting it was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Amazingly, I don't know if the angel was speaking Greek or if he was speaking Hebrew to this young Hebrew woman. Now, the translation in the Hebrew of Jesus is Joshua. Joshua. And that term is Yahweh is salvation. I love the fact that the angel says, you're going to call his name Yahweh is salvation. His name is going to be Joshua. And here we recognize that in the Greek it's translated Jesus and it says this in verse 32, he will be great, he will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. I love the fact that God says, I'm going to come as a man, and then through that, I'm going to be what? I'm going to be able to relate to you. This is why throughout scripture, Jesus is known as the kinsman redeemer. He's the one that God says that you are going to be of God, but you are going to be of man. You are the God man. You're the one that can hold God's hand. You can hold man's hand because you were there. In your humanity, you know what, what it is to be tempted. In your divinity, you know what, what it is to walk with God and how sin has no dominion over you. You're able to show them these truths, and I think it's so important that there's some people, when they come to the, 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 the cradle, when they come to this manger, what they see is just very simply, they see the Son of God. But I want you to understand, he's more than just the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. There in Matthew chapter 1, a couple of verses I want to read to you. I want to read to you verse 21, and I want to read to you verse 23. As Joseph comes to this point, and, and so he's, he's struggled because he now understands that Mary is with child. He also understands that I've not been with Mary yet. So there's a thing where he's like, what's going on? And rather than having her condemned, he's wanting to put her away privately. But it says this. As the angel comes and, and, and ministers to Joseph in a dream, in verse 21 of Matthew 1, and as he says this, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Do you understand? Both of them got the message. This is Joshua. This is Yahshua. This is Yahweh is salvation. And, and so we look to this, and I think it's so important. You're going to call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. He's going to be a savior. This one, Yahweh is salvation, is going to bring about the redemption of his people. And then in verse 23, behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. Do you understand? He now understands that this is a virgin that is going to have this child. She is going to have a son. And it says this, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. It's God who's with us. So understand that, that when you see the wise men come, they see a king. The shepherds come and they see a savior. Mary comes and she sees the son of God. The angel told me he's the son of God. He's going to be my son, but also God's son. Do you understand? She understood the humanity of this. 
Joseph comes and he recognizes the divinity of this child. He sees literally this is, this is, this is God who is with us. And I love the fact that when you look at this manger, what do you see? What do you see? Do you simply see a king? Do you see a baby? What is it that you see? Do you see a savior? Do you see the son of God? Do you see this, this that has the very nature of God? Or do you see God himself coming to earth? God himself so wanting to love us and showing what it is to love one another. When you look at the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ, you recognize what? How to love people. And I love the fact that here we see God, Joseph sees God. He sees the word incarnate. He sees the very image and, and the express character of God going to be manifested in this baby. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then that word would become flesh and dwell among us. It's such an important thing to recognize what it is here that we begin to recognize. One passage, if you want, please, you could turn there. Turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 9. In Isaiah chapter 9, I want you to just follow with me because Isaiah actually receives a vision He's going to receive this vision of a child. And he's going to make this statement in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. So amazingly that he says this is going to be, a child is going to be born. There's going to be a physical birth of a child, but this birth of a child, that child is from everlasting. He's going to come and be given to the world. He's going to be given to the world, not, not just as a sweet baby, not as just the king who's going to rule and reign, not just as a savior to save us from hell and allow us to go into heaven, but this child is going to be not just the son of God, but God himself. And so when Isaiah recognized this son is given, the government, all authority will be placed upon him. The government, all authority is upon his shoulder. And then he says this, and his name shall be called. His name, his character. And amazing, his name shall be called Peleyaatz El Gabor. Abiv, Ad, Sar Shalom. His name will be called, and as you look at it, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. When we look to this, and I want to just take this moment here and really focus on what Isaiah sees when he looks at this child. The child is born, the son is given, and he says, and this is the character of what you need to see when you look in this, this manger he calls him so, so amazingly. He says, his name is Pele Ya'atz. And, and that, that's, that's where we get this word, um, wonderful counselor. The word wonderful, Pele, is, is simply this. It means a miracle. It means a marvelous thing. 
God through the Spirit that says his name is going to be, this is a marvelous thing. It's too great for us to hold on to. It's like this miracle that happens. And understand that a miracle is beyond comprehension. When God says, here's a miracle, he would raise Lazarus from the dead. People are scratching their yarmulkes. How does this happen? But we understand here that the word wonderful is is that word, it's a miracle, it's marvelous, it's too lofty for us. But then he says this, he's a counselor, he's a wonderful counselor. The the, the counselor has a multiple understanding of of what it is, that that word in the Hebrew, yaatz. And and so it, it means this, it can mean one who advises, it could mean one who counsels, but it also means this, one who guides. And I love that thought process because when you look at Jesus, and that's what a counselor is, he guides you into a thought process. He guides you into, hey, change your life, do this, do that. Um, so I understand that, you know, when what we do is sometimes we need to seek counsel. Sometimes we need to say, okay, well, we have to figure out what to do here. Because what we do is it's an important thing. When we take out, you know, all of the Christmas decorations, we have an empty box. So you figure, what do I put in there? I put in the scale until after Christmas. And then, then when, when, when everything, the Christmas decorations go back, then you can pull out the scale. And I think, boy, what a gift. What a gift. You don't have to worry about it until after the new year. Now, this is what you do. If you're wondering what to do with the boxes of your Christmas, put your scale in it. And then when you put the stuff, for, then take the scale back out. Then you can deal with what? I need counsel. Now I need some advice. Now I need some guiding. And so it's just an amazing thing to look at when we see here, when he, when he talks about this wonderful counselor, when, when he talks about Pelea Ots, it means that, that this is a, a guide that is too far beyond our comprehension, that God wants to guide us to him. And, and, and you think, how could we be guided to the Father in heaven? How could we be guided to God? Because we have a sin nature. And he's going to say, you're going to come through me. I'm going to guide you through me. And then we see not only is he the wonderful counselor, but, but we see Isaiah recognizes that he is what? The mighty God. He is El Gibor. And as we look at this, 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 this term where, where we see this, this, he is the mighty God, that term mighty, um, that, that term mighty is, is where we, we recognize that it means a chief, it's powerful, he's a champion. I love that heart that when it comes to that, because when, when it says that he's mighty, you recognize, yes, he's the chief, he's powerful, but he's the champion. And then it says what? Well, as, as it comes up, he, he talks about here, it's, it's El Gabor, and that, that term El is the term for God. And we understand, how do you describe God? God is just God. But then he says this, as he talks about the nature of this child, he says he's the everlasting father, the eternal father. And, and this is incredible when, when, you, when you take a look at this, because that, that, that term abib, um, sometimes we, we, we call it abib, um, and, and it means where we call him Abba. You've heard of that term, father. It means more intimate. It's not father, like royalty, father. Father, my daughter used to call me that when she was little, just loved the accent. Father, father. I don't know what she saw, where she got it, but she did. And, and, and so, but it, it's more intimate. It's more like daddy. And, and I love the fact that, that we begin to see that he is God, but he's intimate with us. 
I love the fact that it's so amazing that, that he is this, this everlasting, the eternal daddy. And that's a neat thing, because some of us, we look at the father figure, and it's not such a good idea. But if you can picture in your mind a daddy figure, what you would want a daddy to be, how you'd want, boy, God just, this is me. This is me in spades. And so we, we take a look at this, and I love the heart because he says he is the eternal daddy. He's the eternal one. He's the everlasting father. And, and I, I love that fact. And he says this, and then he's the prince of peace. That prince, it means to, to be a ruler in a sense. It means to be a head person, but it also refers to what? One who is directly underneath. It's one who's in rulership. And he can be the chief one, but he can also be below. And this is why they call it the prince. But he says what? It's the, the prince. And, and this is what's so amazing is when you see this prince, it's, it's, it's Shar Shalom. It's the prince of peace. And Shalom, you know, we, we've heard it where, you know, you understand this a greeting that we get in, in the Hebrew. Shalom simply means peace. Jeru Shalom, the city of peace. And so... But understand what peace is, what shalom means. It does mean peace, but in a sense, it means health, prosperity, happiness. It means favor. But I love a term because peace also means this, wellness. And I love that implication of he's, he's the prince of wellness. Now, amazingly, when you look at wellness centers nowadays, it's not just physical, but it's physical, emotional, mental that's what they want and he's what he is this 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 prince of wellness he's the 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 chief of wellness and i love it when you come to christ and you truly say my life is yours and you're going to live your life through me that what we do is we seek to do everything we can to glorify the lord and, and it's, Lord, we want you to live your life through us. And that's where wellness comes in. Because when we look at Jesus Christ and we begin to follow Jesus Christ, what happens? Our mind is renewed. And as we begin to give ourselves over to the scripture, then, then he literally renews us as well as we follow obedience. Do this. Don't do this. And, and I, I love the heart of what, what God begins to do. And so it, it's wellness. And my spirit is what? I have peace with God. All these things, and I think what's so important is when, when Jesus says that, that he who sees me sees him who sent me. You understand that when Isaiah is declaring of this child, he says he is the mighty God. He is the everlasting father. This child is God in the flesh. And I think it's so important when we look. The question that I think we need to hear and we need to be asking ourselves just as we go into today and meet with family and meet with friends, is, is what do you see when you see in this manger? And I'll tell you what, the thing that most of us don't want to see is this. We don't see the God of the Old Testament. We don't see it. Why? We don't want to see it because the God of the Old Testament judges sin. Do you understand what this baby did? This baby judged our sin. Yes, he did. He took our sin upon himself, and he allowed it to be judged. And God did judge his son. God did condemn his son. God did allow the son to take the full wrath of God for our sin. And then he gives to us. It's just one of those swaps. He says, I'll take your sin, and I'll give to you the very righteousness of God. Absolutely amazing to see that this baby is what? 
It's the judgment of sin. We, we, we go from, from, the, from the, the, this very manger, we go to the cross. We, we go to recognizing that the greatest gift is not under the tree. The greatest gift of all was on the tree. And, and this is what we recognize. This is the judgment of my sin. And it was judged in full. I want you to understand that this morning that our sin has been judged in full. There's nothing left that we have to pay. So let us come and relish, relish. Let's be like those shepherds that come and say, yes, this is our savior. Let's be like those wise men. He's our king. He has authority. Let's be like Mary and say, yes, he's the son of God. He has the very nature of God. But let us, like Joseph and like Isaiah, recognize this is the Father, the very nature of the Father. If you can leave today by recognizing the God of the Old Testament is the God of love. Remember, he said, I don't change. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same God who is there in the manger is the same God that does judge sin. And understand that as he judges sin, like we look at Sodom and Gomorrah, we look at the wrath that God's poured out upon Egypt, those kind of judgments of sin. Jesus took that penalty for us that we could come into this beautiful right relationship. So it's just a beautiful thing to say, just, just look at the manger, ponder through in your own heart, what is it that I see when I look in there? Now you can be like the wise men and have something that's a precursor. I'm looking for a king, so I'm gonna find a king. I'm looking for a God that's gonna grant my request, so I'm gonna find a God that grants my request. Or you're gonna look at what and say, this is God. And then recognize, God, what is it that you want from me? You have the authority. You are my king. You are my savior. You are the one with divine nature. And you are the ruler of all. You are that great God and king. Besides you, there's no other savior. And, and I want to recognize that that's what I see when I'm, when I'm looking at the manger. And it was just so neat that these last few weeks, God has been pressing upon my heart the amazing understanding. So, so ponder through today and, and maybe all the way into the new year, what it is this child that was given, that this, this, this son that was just said, I'm going to give you this son and come. And yeah, he was, he was a baby that was born, but he was given. This was God who said, I'm going to come. May we be those people who really ponder what is it that we see when we look in the manger. Amen. Well, Father, we're so grateful for this word and just the heart, the thought process of just coming here on, on Christmas morning and, and recognizing that we are celebrating, we are celebrating this Advent, God with us. We are celebrating Emmanuel. So continue to do that work in our hearts. Continue to knit us to you and all that you have for us. Draw us into this place of honoring you and worshiping you. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all the saints of God said, amen. amen.